Welcome everyone. I hope you will enjoy tonight's recording of a live stream broadcast including our special guest Sean Williamson. This live stream was done on JFree906 on YouTube channel and is recorded on August 18th, 2021. Please enjoy Sean Williamson. All right, we are live. Hey, welcome everybody to the Curse of Oak Island and Beyond live stream. I'm your host, Jeff Freeman, and right over here, right down below, is John Edwards. John, how you doing tonight? Hey, doing great. And John and I have the very special uh, guest here tonight that we're really excited about having returned <clears throat> to the show, uh, author, researcher, stonemason, master sculptor, Sean Williamson. Welcome, Sean. How are you doing tonight? Great. Thank you. Great to be aboard the show, Jeff. Thank you. Well, we're really nice to see you, John, as well. Yeah, and I know it's really late <laughs> for you over there. So we uh, we we talked him into coming on. I know he's over in UK time, uh, Greenwich Mean Time, and uh, so it's pretty late for him. But I tell you what, I'm really happy that he was here. Um, and Sean has some new information to share with us tonight, uh, having to do with Roslyn Chapel, the Templars. I mean, all kinds of good stuff. I, I'm re I'm really <laughs> excited because I know we've we've kind of talked about some the Wisconsin side a little bit, which we probably will a little bit tonight, but. Sean's been doing a lot of new research, and I can't wait to hear about this. But before we get to that, I did want to mention that Sean has written a couple of books. Now, we got the first one. I'm going to show this one real quick. And it is this one here, Evidence of Knight Templar Tombstones. It was written in 2020, I guess. Is this, is this, was this your first book, Sean? No, this is more of a paper, really. Okay. Uh, validating Templar tombstones in Scotland with hard uh, evidence. Mm -hmm. Yep. And where is this available? Where can people get this? <clears throat> it's going to be available. It's not. It's not ready yet. It's it's okay. finished, but uh, I'm going to put it out as a sort of an ebook or e-report. Okay. And it's also by hard copy as well. All right. Awesome. Can't wait to see that. And I know you're also working on another one. I'm going to bring it up here real quick. Uh, that I think you said is going to be. Uh, out real soon and this one this one i'm really excited about folks you gotta see <laughs> see this book here all right i'm gonna bring this one up real quick and if you would elaborate on that one a little bit sean well yeah there's actually more although it's written as a novel there's more fact in this than anything else and it's to do with andrew sinclair's discovery in Roslyn chapel which i have uh, a wooden grail as there was more to that than met the eye, and that's what Andrew gave to me before he died. And I have it, but uh, the, the novel is essentially about that, what was found inside it, and how that connects to South America. Oh, wow. Through the legacy of the Templars. But it's written as a novel in similar, I would say, different. It's not as long as dan brown's novel but uh it certainly picks up on some very very uh strange inf information some of which has not been seen before and but it couch it's couched as a very readable novel that somebody could read probably in a day or a day and a half you know because people don't read books t to such a great extent anymore but this this has been made for them to uh to be able to assimilate this great information in it, basically. Wow, fascinating! And when does this when does this come out? It's soon, isn't it? it, it well, it's it's going to be out in autumn, late autumn. All right. And 
it will be uh, I'm going to publish it myself to start with and if anybody else picks up on it a bigger publisher that's great but you know I just need to get the book out there right exactly well I tell you what you're more than welcome to do this on our Facebook page uh, if you'd like to when you when you get ready to put this book out um, if you want to we can link it uh, where people can purchase this through our, our Facebook page because we like to help promote our guests that we have on the show and this kind of thing folks when you help them by buying their books and not only will it be a great read uh, and great information, but it also helps them to continue the research that they're doing. So we do that with Gretchen, uh, Alessandra, Nadavari, all these, you know, it helps them to continue the research that we're doing that we get to hear about on the show, right? So that, so help them out. And we'll, when we get that book uh, or a link to that book, when it is ready, we will get it on our Facebook page so that you guys can find it there and be able to pick up on it. So, um, you know, and I wanted you just to say, hi, we have, I was just looking at, you know, all of our regulars are coming in here tonight i just want to say hi to a few of you henry's here we also have court lindahl's here tonight alessandra's here tonight um karen jan oh jan and linda thank you guys working so hard out there jan and linda are here of course uh taking care of things out in the chat mary's here so vicky we got quite a few people showing up and we really appreciate you guys being here tonight to listen to sean williamson so i'm gonna go ahead and just be quiet now and let him go i think we and i know john has a lot a lot to you're gonna hear a lot from john tonight too because we had a little meeting beforehand and we we were just going about all kinds of said save it for the show come on hold on so uh but we'll lead off by saying sean i know that you've been doing a lot of work at roslyn chapel you just mentioned that tell us a little bit about what is happening over there well, this is it's basically previous research. I, you know, I was up there every weekend at one point in time. Was, in fact, I was I was there more than I was at home. You know, mm. I, I should have had my bed there. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was there all the time. Fabulous place. Uh, basically, examining the the stone carvings within Roslyn and also the acoustic properties of Roslyn itself, of course, because it's it's one of the only chapels in in uh, Europe with a stone roof. And, you know, the whole place is, is an enigma. And uh, I can tell you vast amounts of information about that. But uh, if the most important development over the last, say, 10 years was what the Stuart Mitchell, the musician, found out about, although I was aware of it, I'm not a musician, but he actually found out the uh, sequence of code of the cymatic cubes in the retro chapel. And that's actually pictures of, uh, it's basically sound, but carved in the form of pictures. So here they were in 1480, or between 1420 and 1480, with knowledge of uh, cymatics, which is the shape of sound. And this came later, uh, it was a later scientific development, I think, in the 1700s. But nobody, as far as I'm aware, knew that these uh, these carvings had been decoded uh, back back in the late medieval period of time. And if you've got that video, it might be good to show the viewers those uh, those pictures. It'd be fabulous. Yeah, I do. We actually have, and this is thanks to John. John went out and he found the uh, the uh, YouTube uh, sh um, channel show, and I'll show that here in just a second. Um, uh, 
right, and then we'll bring that up and let's see now this is um before i do that i'm gonna have to do one thing first and that's to uh, make sure that we acknowledge where we got this from because i don't like to do that i don't like to show things without that um for sure so let's go here and this is um okay this is the uh roslyn uh the roslyn stave angel music cipher and then it's the stuart mitchell music that's mm -hmm. that youtube page you can find it there on youtube uh you can just visit that and check this out for yourself but we're going to go ahead and play this let me get this full size there we go and it's about four minutes long i don't know if we need to watch the whole thing but it's really interesting so here we go with that That's fascinating.
All right. Wow. Man, I tell you what, that that's and, and, and so what this I guess what this is showing us is the fact that different frequencies create different patterns. And those patterns are what is displayed in Roslyn Chapel, right? On those little different pictures that we were looking at. Is that what you were Yeah, those 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 cuboid formations. And you know, they were later disseminated and they created that beautiful music from them, which uh, there was two versions of events. One, one, one being that it's the lost and sacred hand, uh, uh, hymn to, to John the Baptist, which I believe it is, mm. and that's supposed to be it, the music that we heard, but mm. based off those reverse engineering it from the symbols carved on the cubes, which are basically pictures of vibrational frequency in sound mm -hmm. but carved into these cubes in like 1470 or something i mean just mm. incredible i actually the sort of information that had they that's why i think roslin is so ornately carved on the inside this is my own theory is because every square inch is carved you know Mm -hmm. embellished i think that was to draw attention away from the real purpose of roslin because at the time you know they were burning people at the stake for having this kind of sacred information and you know even the great sinclairs of roslin would have been susceptible you know they would have their block their heads would have gone on the block as well had they found out what was going on in roslin and you know, this vast chamber, stone chamber of enlightenment, shall we say, and in a, in basically a, a stone box. Uh, so there's a lot more to Rosalind than meets the eye than just the carvings, although they're interesting in their, in their own right, as, you know, the plant formations and various carvings that could only have been found in North America, probably by... Prince Henry Sinclair in 1398 or earlier, you know, we don't know exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, they may have brought samples back from North America and used them to illustrate. But imagine uh, what a, a huge uh, task it would have been for people to realize that, you know, these plants had come from somewhere that was supposed not to exist. What were they thinking then? I mean, right. Yeah. Now, Sean, they did find uh, a, a a sculpture of maize in at Rosling. Is that correct? Yeah, r r corn. maize at, at corn. Yeah, and yeah. aloe vera uh, as well, which was you know many people have said the same thing that these you know that these these carvings look exactly the same as you know the plant examples, and it's every square inch of Rosling has got something to distract you from the real purpose and i guess people sometimes read into it as well what they want as also but the acoustic properties of roslin and you know the retro uh, chapel where where they all are i mean i've not seen anything similar to that anywhere in the whole history of architecture it's usually when you do that kind of artistic architectural configuration or you're carving it in stone it's a finial which is usually a trefoil or 
maybe uh, one or two balls or something like that. But here you have a cube that is carved on four sides and mm -hmm. with these, you know, with the shape of sound. Uh, it's just, mm. it's just enormous, isn't it? It is. It's fascinating. I mean, the shape of sound, that, that's, that's exactly what it is, is the shape of a sound. And you can see it changing according to the pitch. You can see it, how it changes. And we're going to talk about this as we go along here with other things <laughs> as we go along. So I'm just going to, again, I'm just oh. going to sit back. I had to interject. Go ahead, John. No, no, no. I was going to say, and Sean, the ancients, and I think we have an example one, did, did they, uh, we'll talk about resonance chambers. And when you're understanding what a resonance chamber is, and I know we have an example of a resonance chamber, are, are you suggesting that Roslyn could have been a resonance chamber as, as one of its functions, sacred functions? Yeah, I think so. I think that was, okay. uh, you know, definitely, John, yeah. Uh, as we found in other uh, sacred temples and buildings and structures, you know, uh, over, over the centuries. Uh, Jeff, you have this. This is something that was found uh, below Malta, and this is a resonance chamber. What, what were they used for, Sean? Well, <clears throat> definitely for some kind of uh, procedures and the the idea of perhaps becoming more enlightenment in this space. Uh, nobody exactly knows directly, only to say that sometimes inside these cavernous places or caves in, in greater antiquity, there was uh, carvings on stalactites and stalagmites, for instance. Mm -hmm. Some of the ringing rocks in the USA, for instance, also bear carving, carved images, as if they were being marked for some reason. And all of them sound like beautifully booming musical instruments. And maybe it was the effect of this sound on human consciousness somehow that they were into or developed to an extent that we can't see it because mm. we're so far removed from the earth and our connection to it. You know, I mean, digitalization of, of the world, I think, is removing, putting a block between us and the human resonance, for instance, the of the planet and various uh, force fields that nature, including us, are able to pick up from the planet. You know, we know about how do migrating birds operate? How do they, you know, what 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 links them to be able to do that? What we do, we still it's still very very scant information for mm -hmm. us to know that. Uh, but I think it's linked to that, and I think we know that the experiments that have been going on with you know, at Stonehenge, for instance, uh, whereby people's consciousness is, is changed to some extent, or one portion of the brain operates differently mm -hmm. to the other, mm -hmm. when, you know, in a resonance chamber, shall we say, or when various noises are emitted in that mm -hmm. in that uh, proportion. Hmm. Are, are there specific frequencies, Sean, that that uh, are sacred frequencies that are you see in these examples of of resonance chambers or um, places where frequencies are, and resonances are used? Yeah, well, I'll read you just a, a paragraph sure. from the book, The Templar Builders, which I wrote with Andrew Sinclair. 
<clears throat> and it says the acoustical scientists Keating and Watson also discovered that sound travelled unhindered in some areas of Stonehenge, yet it was blocked or directed elsewhere among the great upright stones. Hmm. The author Stephen Knight has also discovered that the pi ratio is common in geometry, in the geometry of many stone circles and in ancient temples and monuments. At Newgrange in Ireland, sonic testing has shown that all chambers within that Neolithic site have a natural primary resonance frequency range of 95 to 120 hertz wave band, with most pinging at 110 to 112 hertz, despite the differing space within the various chambers. These were acting as a giant instrument in, in its own right. So you mentioned, John, the healing frequency being 111 hertz, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so, you know, they've also got information about all frequencies and how they affect the human mind in these spaces. And it's, uh, you know, people are starting to get more into it at the moment, uh, academically, shall we say, mm -hmm. but... Uh, I still think it's there's a sense of it being a heresy that people people are doing this. You know, it, it, it's wrong somehow. You know, uh, and maybe we should be looking more into this and how it connects to these ancient cultures, how the the ancient cultures connected to sound. You know, mm -hmm. um, Jeff, we had two questions. Can we pop those questions back up? Yeah, this here was one from, uh, and I was trying to see exactly who had posted this. Um, and unfortunately, it doesn't have the name. It might have been Anne Marie, but I'm not sure. But go ahead with that one. Um, so when people are meditating and chanting, um, and hit that frequency, um, they are using uh, the, a certain frequency to balance their being question mark. So when people are in meditation and doing esoteric chant, Sean, are they hitting a certain frequency? Is that bringing some kind of a balance to their being? Yeah, I think they're using this as a as a tool to 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 have a, an effect on themselves, you know, uh, in one way or the other. And there's no doubt about it. Uh, I'll just read another little bit here that might be of sure. interest. Uh, <clears throat> A recent study evaluated the possibility that tones at these frequencies might specifically affect regional brain activity. In a pilot project, 30 healthy adults listening to tones at 90, 100, 110, 120, and 130 hertz, while brain activity was monitored with electroencephalography. Uh, activity in the left temporal region was found to be significantly lower at 110 Hz than at other frequencies. Additionally, the pattern of asymmetric activity over the prefrontal cortex shifted at 110 Hz from, from one, of, one of higher activity on the left side at most frequencies to dominance on the right side. So, yes, in, in actual fact, we've got scientific proof that, you know, the brain brain waves for instance change uh, under under these various frequencies differently and you know they somehow they knew that but maybe not in the same way that we 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 were we were able to scientifically analyze this information but 
they used it in a vernacular sense whereby mm. they may have been using this not just for meditation but for healing we don't know and mm -hmm. this is this is what makes it uh, gives it a magneticness to want to know more about it yeah, because absolutely. you know the, at the moment the world's in <clears throat> in crisis and you know perhaps it's a good thing to look back to the wisdom of the ancients and how they dealt mm. with mm. with with situations right there was another question here that uh, yeah, tom burns brought up yeah. yeah he said didn't certain <clears throat> frequencies give people an extra sense an extra sense or perception when they consistent when consistently applied and i don't know about that but i can certainly see where it would yeah, I think, you know, there's there's numerous effects that different resonance and tonal qualities will have. Everybody knows of the effect of music when we go to a concert or something or, you know, it, it does change our mood significantly. And I think they were just more aware of that. And, you know, when they were uh, getting in the zone to that extent and... They knew what caves to go in. And there is some evidence to suggest that certain, uh, you know, sized caves were later tried, they tried to reproduce them in the form of a building. And this might lead on to resonant temple structures whereby they were having, you know, music rituals and things like that. And it, it persisted actually well on into the cathedrals. Uh, which were often drawn hmm. in French Templar manuscripts and uh, as giant musical instruments. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then and I know that uh, in, there's also some research. I mean, you know, I've got, I've got a tape or a CD actually downstairs, uh, it, you know, that if you listen to it, 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 it plays music and um, different tones and stuff at certain frequencies and it allows you to rest or or sleep better or whatever it may be so it's and i think it is scientifically scientifically proven that those techniques do work and like you had just mentioned it's very likely that the they knew much more about this in the past than we do now that it's something that it's an art that has been lost over the years because our modern technology we talked about this earlier our modern technology honestly makes us lazy, not only in the lazy in the sense that I don't have to get up and do that myself because this machine will do it for me, but also in the sense that, you know, we don't have to push our brains to to get to these things anymore because, oh, TV stimulates me for it or whatever it may be. And, and unfortunately, I think that that draws us back quite a bit. Do you not agree? Yeah, I think just, you know, to pick up on exactly what you've said there, Jeff, that uh, in in the view of the neurobiologist Susan Greenfield, our nervous responses are actually changing as a result of digital technology. So it's interfering with connectedness, connectivity to to, to the earth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what, what, what we consider to be a, a natural human be being where we're being bombarded with electromagnetic waves and we really, really don't know what the consequences of that is going to be. Uh, and she goes on to say that people are now losing their connection to the natural environment by their relationship with new inventions. 
Yep. The search behind the investigation into the acoustic properties of Stonehenge may help us to understand the effects of monumental acoustics on the human brain. The project will use resonant audio frequency in a number of locations and in and around ancient monuments. Hmm. So these these experiments now are going on and you know the Royal College of Arts research department one of them Princeton and you know they're all stepping up to the mark so to speak because they know there's something in it and you know if they can know we can know in Absolutely. fact we could know we can know better Mm-hmm. And I know uh, we were talking earlier, Sean, about you know resonance medicine, and they're actually using certain frequencies and, and, and resonances to attack cancer cells. And mm-hmm. they, 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 you see the cancer cells suddenly dissolve, and no other cell in the body is affected. So you know this is kind of cutting edge research with the with the different frequencies and resonances used to fight diseases now, mm-hmm. um, which I found fascinating. One of the questions I had for you, Sean, was um, ley lines and sacred sites and how that feeds into placement of sacred sites and resonances. Uh, well, you know, it's not my main area of of research to, mm-hmm. to, to that extent. But, you know, firstly, all, firstly, I'm fascinated by what you said about the uh, the resonance affecting cancer cells and destroying mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. i mean Ed, edgar case was hugely into that as we discussed mm-hmm. earlier but mm-hmm. uh, it's great that you brought that up and also the fact that uh, you know the, the 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 resonance that we're we're talking about is 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 to some extent seen as a almost like a heresy because it's it's doing things that you know like to actually dare to say that it can heal people when we have a you know modern pharmaceutical you know system in place <laughs> it's it, it's like tesla stuff isn't it but there's an oppositional trend going uh with that but uh i've waffled on a bit about that but i forgot your question <laughs> uh, well, what was it about we were talking about before uh magnetism um oh, sacred yeah. sites yeah. residences and things of, the, of that sort and was there an intentional placement now whether it's true or not is a different story, but the line of thought existed that people did think there was something to these sacred sites and magnetism and ley lines and resonances and placement of the sacred sites, you know, on the face of the earth, so to speak. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange because a lot of these sacred sites that we've been talking about through, you know, the different temples in South America to Roslyn Chapel, they're all seeming, and the, the pyramids of Giza, you know, they're all seemingly linked somehow. And you can always find a mathematical formula to, to link them to each other. And I don't know if that's like the sacred geometry connection that hmm. somehow, you know, why do those coordinates in nature uh, appear in, you know, the spiral, say, of a ram's horn? We can actually get a mathematical sequence that we can use elsewhere and is it is it to do with the naturalness of things is it an inherent knowledge that we have or is it something that's been studied by another culture and that we're getting the residue from you know is it of a greater knowledge shall we say of our purpose on the planet 
and the, our connectivity to it is is it just in us to know or has this information come from some other remote place like for instance you know lemurians or atlanteans or those ain't as uh, plato mentions is there a connection to to them through this that we're you know we get we're getting dribs and drabs but one thing's for sure there is a a resurrection in say ley lines as you mentioned john and but you know that there's there's far greater experts on that subject uh than me you know i'm i'm really at the uh the rock face you know cutting stone and seeing how it how it works in a in in, in a smaller way shall we say but i do believe that uh these fabulous buildings and temples on the planet have been aligned purposely mm. and how that occurs or why, you know, it's, it, it's a mystery, isn't it? And, and, it comes, and, it, and it begs the question, were they built there because they knew that was the spot to build it? Or is that, is that resonance the case because they built it there? So, you know, you can, you can look at that two ways. Is it, is it because that they knew that then? And so they said, okay, we got this particular, you know, uh, resonance here, let's build here. Or was it because they built there that it created that? I don't know. I mean, that kind of, that fascinates me. We got some people jumping in here with some stuff that really, you know, like this was, um, I think this was Kevin Dorsey came up and said this, you know, about the pyramids resonate at different frequencies and have healing abilities. Uh, and then Tom Burns jumped in with this. Um, and Alessandra was talking about the 111 freak, you know, uh, Hertz. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, they know, people know so much <laughs> about this. It's really fascinating. And you mentioned the Schumann um, resonance. Now that had to do with the Earth's magnetic field. Is that correct? Oh, I yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, uh, the inherent resident resonance or or sound of of the planet, you know, right? Uh, and and how that operates, and uh, I, it just brings me back to another story that I heard at Temple Ballantradoc near Roslyn, which was the Knights Templar headquarters, and shall we say a very great modern. Uh, pop musician uh, would would go back to Temple Ballantradoc at certain times of the moon phase and it was a specific certain time when there was a halo around the moon and apparently uh, they could hear like booming sounds coming from under Ballantradoc for instance really? I don't know too much about it but it was it was this was actually told to me by a scientist uh, that lived in the village and hmm. it you know it, it makes you wonder you know I, I don't like to go too deep into this stuff but it's uh you know the stuff that we don't know about on on the planet and how the how these vibrational frequencies affect us for instance how is it you know when for instance, there's a, a massive change on, or there's a catastrophe coming on the planet. Mm -hmm. All the animals know before we do, they head for higher ground if it's going to be a tsunami. Yes, yep. 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 Or they, they, they try to find safety in some 
way that we 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 don't be we can't do ourselves. Although we're, I think many people are getting uh, some of that some of those gifts back now in being able to yep. read that something's not right on the planet, especially with this consequence of which they call global warming, but which could be something else. I don't know. You know, it's uh, mm. it's a lot to think about, you know, when you're uh, cutting heavy stone with a mallet and chisel. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's something I mentioned before, and everybody that's, that's watched the show has known, you've probably heard me say this before, but I had a cockatiel, and he, I, during two different earthquake events when I lived in Southern California, the cockatiel knew and basically started acting very strangely in his cage and hanging upside down and stuff before just, you know, maybe 10 minutes before the earthquake came. And it, wow, that happened wow. twice. So yeah, what you just said is absolutely right. The animals picked up on that and can pick up on it. How are they feeling that vibration? I don't know, mm. but they pick up on it way before we ever do. So that's you're absolutely mm. right. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're so much more tuned in than we are. And uh, you can see, you know, they. I think animals are aware a lot more of, uh, a lot more than we we could ever realize. You know, for instance, they reckon a, a dog thinks through its nose. Its olfactory system is actually more powerful than our capacity to think. It just sees the world in a different in a different way and you know in questus for instance uh i've got this curious connection to um between animals and what they know about and what they sense as sentient beings you know and it's you know for instance and before an, a cow is slaughtered for instance or goes to the abattoir then it knows it, it knows what's coming it fears it has a premonition of what's mm -hmm. about to happen and it whether that's through scent or whether it's through you know just uh, an extrasensory perception uh rupert sheldrake is the one of the foremost scholars on on this phenomenon and you know how does a dog know when they've done experiments as well for instance when it's uh its master or mistress is coming home uh, three miles away or four miles away or even 20 miles away. And they've done experiments up to 60 miles away. And that dog knows the moment that the intention in the mind of the, its, uh, its owner to return to that place, to its home, it knows they've done experiment. How, do, how is that possible? fascinating yeah I, I have no idea myself personally but it is absolutely fascinating hmm uh jeff i saw a really good question sean i'm going to throw it out to you um someone had asked are there specific uh medians like specific um stones that are used in sacred structures over other stones yeah the, yeah for instance the uh you know that's evident in the in the stones of stonehenge which were I think transported over 30 miles mm -hmm. to the Stonehenge site because of their uh, because of their hardness and resonant qualities, and many of the stones in stone circles, for instance, are some of them are radioactive. Not all of them, really? 
uh, Long Meg and her sisters in Cumbria, which is near the Scottish border. It's not far from where I live. Three of the stones pick up readings from a Geiger counter. Hmm. And, for instance, granite has a natural radioactivity as well. But uh, we don't know whether they were picked for that reason or not, or why they pick certain stones over other. But they do seem to have qualities that we can scientifically examine and Castlewig stone circle you know you can feel you can feel the stones to, you know and what was going on there I don't know or whether it was by design or default you know to bring certain stones into certain st structures together purposely because they had a, a joined up effect who knows but uh you know, you've got various types of stone, of course, right from some some stones carry more quartz than others, like sandstone, for instance, mm -hmm. carries. Well, it can be, it can be up to sixty percent quartz, and you know you know about the quartz crystal and its uh, ability to, uh, you know, we use it in uh, in electronics to mm -hmm. some extent. Although they grow their own quartz, I think now somehow for microchips and stuff uh, but it's all it's all interconnected and for instance i made the sacred lyre out of stone that had previously been used for musical instrument in the lake district of cumbria which is a stone that rings you know if you hit it with a chisel hmm. it rings like a bell and i thought that would be a great material to make a lyre or a harping because you would get that resonance reverberating back through the strings and so that's why you know we went ahead to make that but there had been previously a xylophone that had been made in the lake district that ended up in the usa and it was it was the tonal qualities were incredible it was played at you know in front of queen victoria and major dignitaries in the United States. Hmm. It nearly bankrupted the guy that uh, left his job to try and create this uh, xylophone made of stone. Wow. But he got the money back, I think, with his world tours uh, called Richardson's, Richardson's Xylophone. And it's actually in Keswick Museum. I've been to see it. I've actually played it with, you know, um, I, again, I'm not a musician. I don't even know why I made the sacred lyre only that it was a combination of my thinking about what was going on in uh temple structures and what you know people were were doing in the in the past in context of resonance what kind of what type of stone was it from the with the lyre slate okay. but it was it was slate that had no uh no beds it was multi usually slate you use it the people use it for roofing slate and it splits mm -hmm. it laminates right but this stone was intertwined almost like uh, it had been twisted oh. and and that's why you get the various colors in it and right. it's quite hard but beautiful color because i wanted it to look uh, attractive also uh, but i do believe that there's you know other musical instruments being made of there's a violin that's been made of granite which is an incredible thing oh wow and but the but the lyre 
myself and Andrew Sinclair went about creating, along with the book The Temple Builders, that was uh, that was made from uh, from from slate and which had also been used for musical instruments because of its ringing tone sensation. Many rocks have this, you know, this ability. And I think probably people that weren't involved in having to work nine to five and stuff in the past, if you can imagine wanderer, gatherer tribes or Neolithic peoples, mm -hmm. they, they were focused on day-to-day -day activities of, of intrigue, just in this, I guess, in the same way I am. Another interesting question that was asked by uh, Kevin, uh, he asked the, the question, Does do you think that um, iron affects the, the frequency in, in stone? Uh, yes, I think I think probably the, an, an iron content, if, if that's what Kevin means, I would imagine would to that extent. But, uh, you know, there's maybe, uh, you know, quartz in some stones that enhance the resonance. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's as wide as it is large in that respect. And uh, again, it's, you know, I'm going to I'm going to be needing to do quite a lot of research. But, you know, just to give you an example, there was uh, a friend of mine, a very big fundraiser. They, they managed to raise 250 grand through various universities to create a xylophone made of uh, made of stone uh, that was used to promote quarries and quarry materials uh, so it's, it's again the resonance thing is is big now mm. with with many peoples and also also probably going to be military or for the for the military as well to some extent mm. hey uh, I'd be curious, Sean, and I'm going to kind of move the, the conversation in a slightly different direction. Um, uh, sacred geometry in buildings. I'm thinking of Sartre's Cathedral or maybe Notre Dame. Can, can you talk about the influences of sacred geometry in uh, the work of, of those cathedrals and other cathedrals and stonemasonry during that medieval time? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for me, that that's... You, you know, you can get vast array of information on sacred geometry and how it's used, mm -hmm. but it's the, it's where it's derived from is the interesting bit for me, and how it how it comes from the mechanical building of nature. You know, it's almost like the language of God, and the if you develop a if you if you say, for instance, examine a ram's horn. Mm -hmm. and examine how those spirals are how they grow there's a mathematical sequence involved in that and fibonacci uh was the guy that really sort of got to grips with that and said you know this is the fibonacci for spiral for instance or the fibonacci sequence which is mentioned in you know dan brown's book the da vinci code mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but this is the more interesting information because, of course, Fibonacci was great, but Michael Scott was greater because Fibonacci acknowledges Michael Scott as his mentor and corrector. Now, Michael Scott was the court magus for Frederick II of Italy uh, hmm. at some point in time. He was an alchemist. 
and he ended up his days on in a remote Cistercian Abbey in Scotland at home, Coltrum. And curiously, where Robert the Bruce's father is buried under a Knight Templar tombstone, uh, or one that relates to him having been on the crusade. It's not exactly the, the, the same as the ones that I discovered at Temple Ballantradoc. But, you know, we're talking about the purveyors of sacred geometry and where did they get that information? Because the, those coordinates were brought out of nature yeah. uh, and then made into mathematics and used in sacred buildings. So, as I was saying before, is this is this something that happened by chance, or was this something that came from a greater civilization than we know? You know, did they patent this this technique of using those coordinates in in our buildings? So I'm gonna I'm just gonna read you uh, something here. Here we go. Some say the Templars were the conduit of the movement of sacred knowledge geometry between their excavations within the Temple of Solomon and the great explosion of the building of churches, priories and cathedrals in Europe in the early 12th century. Pythagoras and Plato were adepts, and we know that, sacred, that the sacred coordinated systems were used in all the main Greek temples, such as the Parthenon. The Romans were said to have learnt the methods from the Greeks, and the Greeks were said to have learnt it from the Egyptians. How did the practical implications of the knowledge of geometry bring about a new renaissance in building technology during the early medieval period? The temples within their preceptories always had expert masons to build their fortifications. Hmm. Templar master masons were knowledgeable in setting out of structures derived from geometric proportions. They were seen as lay brothers or those who sometimes had served as sergeant at arms in the ranks of the then retired and then retired to a craft within the temporal preceptory. So I hope mm. that, that, that broaches on, on that question, John. Sure. Yeah. Um, we had a comment. I really like the comment, Jeff, the one with my, Michael Scott. Uh, Can you bring that back up? Um, yes. Yeah, and I think I know who asked it. Um, uh, can you talk about the? It's, it's court, right? It's yeah, got to be court. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little about about the use of the octagonal observatories and the octagon in in uh, in buildings? It seems to be an ongoing theme. I know Court and I have talked about it, especially in the 13th century and beyond. Um, the use of, of the number eight and the octagonal buildings that were, you know, prominent, um, especially in a lot of what I believe to be, you know, either, um, you know, Elizabethan period or, or beyond or even before that, maybe even into some of the Templar buildings. Well, yeah, the, the, the octagon and the circle were both uh, shapes that the Templars preferred. I mean, the temple in London, for instance, is, is circular, and mm -hmm. you know many many Templar uh, buildings have an octagonal shape. And I I personally believe that this shape was derived from what they found in the Middle East, uh, in some of the great mosques, which also have octagonal central dome. 
And the weird thing is that when you look up at some of these shapes in the dome, mm -hmm. you see them replicated on the tombstones of Templars as well. So, you know, was it something that they'd observed and and, and used? But you know, the those 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 numbers uh, and those coordinates, shall we say, are used mm -hmm. decoratively in Islam and. You know the Templars were learning a lot about building techniques from from the Arabs in the Middle East, of course, and you can see this synthesis in their work. But they also, you know, their knowledge also comes from that great connection to those ancient civilizations. They just developed it in a different way. You know, the the uh, Islam they were better mathematicians than say we we were. Mm -hmm. But uh, Michael Scott was interesting because he had access to this knowledge because he was also a translator of Jewish manuscripts and writings for the Cistercians. And they said he lived till he was of great, I think he was 110. And again, you know, he was being chased from pillar to post by the Roman Catholic church because of his knowledge he was actually described mm -hmm. as a uh, a serpent amongst lizards by one of the popes <laughs> so um, that's quite a condemnation <laughs> that's it. Uh, yeah. and uh, of course bernard of clairvaux who set up the cistercians always say bernard of clairvaux you know the templars were the uh, white fist of the cistercian order so Michael Scott was was there, wasn't he? He was he was amongst all that and protected by the very very powerful Cistercians and their abbeys, right from the north of England right up into Scotland. Hmm. So Cistercians, Templar, Michael Scott, his work he did in the Middle East, Pythagoras. Uh, Fibonacci acknowledges him as his corrector and mentor, and nobody knows about him, you know. But but we do now. Yeah, <laughs> and we we have a great comment, and I, I've done research on this. The number eight might refer, have to do with Venus. It takes eight years for Venus to complete its uh, its cycle. Alexander, Alexander, we've talked before, and you know, if you if you think about the pattern that Venus makes, it's very similar to some of the patterns that the Templars actually used in some of their architecture, mm -hmm. which is, is fascinating, especially the uh, Venus window at one of the monasteries, which is almost exactly the same as the pattern produced when Venus in that eight-year cycle goes around. And how would and they know that? I mean, it's just how, fascinating to me that they would know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, great point. Great point, John. And, uh, you know, they were picking up on this information uh, all the time and, and, and writing it down and in fast storehouses of uh, they think maybe much of this information came and I know that there's a it's not a legend actually but it, uh, many of the books from the lost library of Alexandria ended up in Roslyn Chapel and hmm. you know there's, there's, there's great things that we can't get out there's metal boxes under there that we nobody has got access to you know uh, if I remember correctly, no one they're not there's no dig. They're, no one's allowed to even look under Rosalind Chapel. Is that correct? It's it's off limits. Yeah, it's totally 
it's totally off limits, you know, beyond belief. And why that is, I don't know. But uh, you know, mm. we've all read the the legends, we've all read the history. Uh, well, there's definitely something down there. There's got to be. Hmm. Interesting. Let's see. Venus, Venus is a pentagram. It takes uh, Venus eight years to draw the pentagram and five uh, petal rows over the Earth. And that's actually one of the Templar windows in, in a monastery, you know, that I've seen. And it's, it's fascinating. Um, another question. Um, we were talking about the fleet, the, the, the Templar uh, fleet on October 13, 1307. Um, can you talk to us about that and maybe the theme of Memento Mori? Yeah, the you mean the Templar fleet that was supposedly left La Rochelle with La Rochelle, the from yes, the Paris. correct. Yeah, yep. yes. Well, I, I I only found out recently that apparently those ships had, were carrying uh, pirate flags, skull and crossbones. Um, I've done a lot of research into Templar tombstones and the Memento Mori symbol, and. I also have got it with me at the moment. I've got a picture of it. Found a beautiful crucifix that had been made in lead, hmm. which had uh, obviously Jesus on the cross. And then underneath it was the skull and crossbones and a rope, like a hangman's noose. And that's, I, I've, they discovered, uh, I'll come back on point in a minute, but in in Cumbria at St. Bee's Priory, they've discovered a knight that was so well preserved, and I've got the pictures of him, mm. that he his his eyes, his blood was still viscous. This guy was seven hundred years old or something. And he'd been he'd been actually been sort of mummified in honey and beeswax. And he was he was so well preserved. He actually thought he was a recent murder victim, hmm. and they took him and did an aut autopsy on him. And you know the the techniques that they had for for preserving bodies at that time was 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 just incredible. Uh, but can you get me back on point there, John? Oh no, no, we we were talking about Memento Mori and oh, yeah, uh, that's the, it. Yeah. The um, Templar fleet in La Rochelle, France, where maybe maybe your opinion of where you think it went. Right. Well, we've we did with uh, Lost Relics of the Knights Templar. We did uh, a full expose on you know where they probably went, and it, apparently it, the fleet divided up after La Rochelle. Some went to Portugal. Some went to Scotland, which was the avenue. I'm not really, I've not been to Portugal, Portugal in actual fact, but all the places the Templars were supposed to have gone in Scotland, you know, I was there researching and looking for hard evidence uh, for them. And, you know, I think the treasure or whatever it was that the Templars had, and remember the Sinclairs, although there's no evidence of them being Templars themselves. I think they became Templars after the dissolution of the mm. standard Templars because their their name, their name in 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 Britain was Keeper of Lost Relics and Sacred Treasure. You know, they had an actual title to do that. Mm. So perhaps it was Prince Henry Sinclair 
that took on the role of this new order to protect the treasures that the Templars had, had discovered, you know, and which they'd kept in the Paris Preceptory. It had gone from La Rochelle mm -hmm. and it, it had split up the 18 ships, but nobody ever found the vessels or where they went. So it's, it's a hard one. I mean, in my book, Questus, I've got the Templar... I, I, I got the uh, Templar fleet being in uh, Chile, South America, uh, because of certain legends that I found out connecting them to to the Templars. The sea legends, shall we say, involved these men from the sea. And so, so that was fascinating. But the Memento Mori symbol is not just a Templar. Uh, emblem. It obviously became a mem an, an emblem of the Freemasons to some extent, but yes, yes. later, you know, it was also uh, many of the tombstones I visited on Rhodes Island, for instance, hmm. which is Knights of St. John of the Hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's loads of uh, skull and crossbones. And of course, you've got the, the pirate flag, which I think the pirates came into existence was another way that the Templars fought back against the enemies, their enemies, mm. you know, yep. under the pirate flag. So, so do you think the Templars were actually intercepting riches headed to the Vatican, like from South America, perhaps? Yeah, purposely. And I think that's possibly where the Templar fleet ended up to continue the fight against, because I mean, it was a momentous thing that happened to them and mm, you know legends right. abound of their continuation after yep. the dissolution right and certainly the two types of tombstones i've discovered which was started with andrew sinclair and i carried on his work after he died in 2019 there is a secondary type of tombstone which seems to be the symbols of this new order of templars that continued how long for, I don't know, but there's evidence hmm. of them combining and working with the Knights of St. John in Scotland and, you know, this curious connection to to to, to, to sea power and piracy. Hmm. And so, I'm going to ask this, the Momentum Mori flag that was being flown by the Templar pirates, and not every pirate was <clears> Templar, <throat> but, you know, a lot of them were, you know, freelance, but the Templar pirates was that a warning to the vatican uh, <clears throat> like remember yeah, that I, I i think yeah i think that's what you know they the templars were known for not being frightened of death because mm -hmm. they a lot of them had come in the ma major knights had all been secular party goers to start with and then they'd 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 become reformed through purification through their belief in Christ and they relinquished the secular world to become uh, magnificent warriors that their purpose was and then one of the purpose was to die and not to fear death you know that's mm -hmm. why they weren't allowed to retire you know from the battlefield unless they were like outnumbered five to one but quite often they died you know they died and they had this they had that to that you know reason for existence to some extent in as much as faith had overcome their secularism 
or the way they'd been wasn't the same for the sergeant uh, sergeant at arms who were there on the main in any case they were the the rank and file but the knights that charged you know in the white mantles and stuff they they they'd all been trained as knights in any case and they were supported by the great rank ranks of sergeant at arms and men at arms mm. as well and also uh, Turkopoles, which were actually Islamic warriors that had converted to Christianity. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. know that. Now, we know the uh, Priya Reese map was out there, and there were other maps that were out there. Um, do you, and this is a $64,000 question, do you think the fleet or any parts of the remnants of the Templar ever made it as far as North America? Yeah, I do. I mean, those the ships that they were using at the time were, you know, they they could go, they they could sail on the high seas or go anywhere. And I think they first came to Scotland and then from Scotland made their way to 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 the to the uh, Americas, and probably before Prince Henry Sinclair. I think he was going to find out where they'd gone. I think. It, they knew that information. They knew the history of what had happened. And, you know, they had great lines of communication. And I think Prince Henry Sinclair was going to find what the Templar fleet or a portion of it had gone with from Scotland to uh, North America. So in your opinion, does that mean the knowledge and maps were already known by the Templars or even prior to so the routes yeah. were known i mean we oh, know yeah, about yeah. the phoenicians we know the phoenicians were yeah. you know were mining copper for the bronze age and you can look at some of the samples you know it's 98 percent pure in europe so is that what we're is that what we're saying here sean that, yeah that the knowledge was known they had access to the maps and they also had viking sea captains amongst them you know uh who were also notorious pirates but uh they had access to maps that standard countries didn't, you know, because they didn't bear allegiance to any particular country. They were doing their own thing. But they also had lodestones and, you know, they were using needles in brine. All of these mm -hmm. things were seen as total heresy. Oh, yeah. But why yeah. the Vikings would have been frightened of, you know, of this i don't know because of their you know warrior status but i do believe that they were integrated you know you know templars were a worldwide nation they came from many countries and mm. certainly i believe that they were they were working with viking sea traders and viking ships of war for instance and uh, you know there's many many legends that add up to you know, with Native Americans of uh, blonde hair visitors to, you know, to to their country. Hmm. But uh, the Piri Reis map, Admiral Piri Reis, of course, was Islamic admiral. And he, he had this map, which showed the landmass under Antarctic before Antarctica before there was ice. And that was looked into by great scholars like Charles Hapgood who worked with the American Coast Guard to validate some of what 
what uh, what I've said. Uh, Maps of the Ancient Seekings is a great book that shows a different perspective on 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 the planet and people's knowledge of high seas over you know through the dark ages and and, and back further into the past hmm. question and this is a uh, i like the question jeff um oh, the viking happen. yeah the vikings <laughs> and the templars ever trade yeah i think uh i think they were both you know big traders and that's probably how you know they became connected in the first place they vikings were everywhere they're sense. up the volga river yeah. river the rangian guard for instance uh that protected uh, some of the byzantine emperors were viking and you know that great sea seafaring tradition that the templars mm -hmm. turned to i think yeah having you know been dissolved or as a land-based power they were operating with other great seafarers and the Vikings would have had maps. They were able to go, you know, from one country to the next to get to America, use Greenland as like a motorway, mm. right? Uh, you know, sort of a, a refueling place. Exactly. So you, you definitely, your belief is there was a diffusion of knowledge between Vikings, Templars, um, natives, First Nation. Yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, I think uh, I think I think Wayne Murphy is definitely on the same page with that, and mm -hmm. it's it's apparent in Micmac uh, native culture through their symbols, which Wayne, Cojan, and, and Gretchen have been uh, talking about and uh, analysing in great depth and. Uh, it's funny how the same symbols that the Templars have, for instance, uh, appear in in Micmac and you know culture. Go ahead, there, Jeff. No, I was going to say I, I was also going to say Corian was here too. You know, he was. I don't know if he's still watching, but he was on for a little while uh, earlier too. So he he joined in, but. You know, and that's and that's fascinating because all of this, you know, you know, we believe that, um, you know, I not not everybody is on board with the idea that the the Templars made their way, uh, or at least a few of them made their way over to North America. Not everybody's on board with that, um, but many of us are, and and it it makes sense that they would have gathered this information or known about it, um, through the Vikings, uh, the Norsemen or whatever, and and so they would have known about these routes and and like you said about the maps being very you know they would have mm -hmm. had access to those maps and now there was also something that john you and i were talking about with the with the vatican that they would have known about some of the stuff from the vatican archives yeah the the, the vatican obviously was going to stay course any any um country that came to the new world with anything they needed because mm -hmm. it was the Masonic nation versus the Roman Catholic nation. And, you know, there was, a, it was really a power grab and a land rush in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so if I know Spain or, or Portugal is under, you know, Vatican control or have Vatican influences and the explorers are coming from those nations or Italy, rest assured Vatican interest, I'm going to be supplying those maps to people that are representing my interest in the new world and it was a land claim it was a resource claim 
I mean, Sean, would you be in agreement with that? Yeah, no, I think that's a totally valid point, you know, and it's the it's an area that sort of undercurrent politics that uh, is Absolutely. quite often difficult to, you know, get to grips with. And but I, I you know, if Leif Erikson made it to North America and <laughs> You know why didn't the Templars? The Templars were great seamen, and they yeah, had sure. fabulous, fabulous uh, galleys. Uh, and even more so, actually, the Knights of Saint John that uh, resisted, cool. with the help yeah. of pirates, mm. the whole of Islam in the Mediterranean. You know, mm. there was still this. There was still a, a a bunch of aged guys in on. Um, I think it was Malta. They went. They went from Rhodes to Malta, uh, but on 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 Rhodes, they they lasted there for five hundred years after you know hmm. the Templars. Uh, but but did the Templars and the Moors they lived in coexistence in the south of France for a long time? Yeah, I believe they did. Yeah, I you know, and I think a lot of uh, you know the the Crusades. You know, with the European mm -hmm. seculars that came in to, to to take and destroy. I think, I think the Templars <clears throat> and Islam and you know the Hebrews all lived in to some extent harmony at certain mm -hmm. points mm -hmm. until one of them became wanted too powerful and wanted to claim everything for their own. It's it's the same old uh, point in in the history of the world isn't it yeah absolutely it really absolutely. is <laughs> it truly is we got some great questions here jeff yeah i know they're just they're, uh, they're, they're pouring in i can't you know i'm trying to keep up with them one of them is uh the templars were rumored to be in switzerland can you talk a bit about that uh i don't know too much about that only that obviously switzerland was the a great place for for banking and the templars were connected to being the originators of a banking system and they were supposedly invented the check because obviously it makes sense that they had a great security force and that if you know you could trust the word of a templar that if he got your money you'd be looked after you know um, <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely so i think that was another powerful thing that they they had this commercial aspect to the way they existed uh you know when there was so much skullduggery and robbery around during those times absolutely good people wanted to put their money in a templar bank you know yep hey jeff um would you mind bringing up an image for me that i would sure. love to discuss um can you bring up the image from uh wisconsin Oh, sure. Yeah, that one. I, I would love to yeah. get, get uh, Sean's take on it. Um, because uh, the, there's been a site in Wisconsin that has been of interest, Sean, and I would love to get your take on what you're seeing and kind of walk us through that, if you would. Now, I have to make this. Yeah, I don't have, I couldn't find my first one that I had. It was much clearer, uh, but I brought this one up. This is one that Wayne had shared with us the other day. Yeah. So let me pop this up here, that one there. What are we seeing there, Sean, in, in your opinion? Yeah, well, I, it's something that I've studied uh, for quite some time. And to me, it's an obvious tomb-like structure. And 
that it, it, the strange things is for me i when i see that i see mm. the tomb of christ and it's it's almost like the front has been walled up somehow in the in the past and that had been rolled on top to stop yes. anything getting in from the top and that maybe it's been something that's been reused to house something sacred uh, mm -hmm. it's a very strange structure in as much as it looks like a natural phenomenon but then when you get to grips with it in more detail you see that stones have been placed uh, quite naturally you know to form a complex um, but this is the most interesting part of it and you know w what you're actually seeing there is the tip of the iceberg hmm. this goes down a long way into the earth and you know what a great uh, what a great project to find what else is there as well in context to uh, what we've been researching absolutely uh, and in my mind there, there's only a handful of candidates that could have been associated or produced this um possibly missionaries possibly <laughs> templars possibly natives um what do you think is the source in in your opinion well to me i think it's something that was already there before the templars and okay. i think it was uh it may have been adapted i think it was certainly carved by the templars or their allies and okay. the symbols that are, i've seen on them on the car on the granite structures mm -hmm. and but it has a feel and i know that they've been doing some uh you know tests with instruments and stuff and they've they've getting some very strange magnetic readings here but it, to me, I think it's, you know, megalithic builders or Neolithic builders, perhaps maybe later than that, that created something that has that the Templars or these explorers knew of mm -hmm. to protect it on a, an onward journey, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why, why these rocks have been carved with these enigmatic symbols is very very interesting because what we see I, I you know I've, I've restored quite a lot of old buildings in the mm -hmm. past and churches and what you see uh, in a ruin to start with is not what is necessarily what was necessarily there to start with it's all mm -hmm. all we see is the ruin what mm -hmm. i see here is a previous structure and it's been for me it's been used in some context you know to store something of uh, you know of of of, of interest either yeah. temporarily or you know for a long time and then mm. moved you know but uh I, you know i don't know whether people read things into into their own research but for me i work mm. sometimes through intuition mm. and i see i see Prince Henry Sinclair, I see that connection and the stuff that hasn't been written in the history books. And, you know, we have to be mindful of the important thing is, I think it was Voltaire said that, you know, we need to, to question is more important to answer than to answer, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
I know there were symbols that, you know, our viewers have seen, you know, those that have seen the other broadcast have seen. Do you think that the, the symbols were a, la a later edition or a later edition or were those part of the original structure? I don't think they were part of the original structure. I think they were okay. added later, but the, with previous knowledge of that structure. Okay. And I think this won't just be the first one. I think there's others there as well. And I think whatever was stored there was of great significance. And we may get to get some evidence when, uh, you know, when it's decreed by the native elders that we can we can actually go and investigate further in context to archaeology. Hmm. So my job is to look how the carve the carvings on these rocks have been mm -hmm. uh, made. Um, mm -hmm. You know, see if we can get any residue of metal or chisel, various testing te techniques we can use to test. Mm -hmm. You know how they've been mm -hmm. carved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that got, that Alessandra had just brought up. She said chisel marks would be the telltale sign. <clears throat> if you and and you would be the person that would be able to decipher that. Yeah, I mean, you're the perfect person to have part of that team to be able to go there and see mm -hmm. that for yourself and make that determination. I mean, I wouldn't trust my looking at it going, okay, yeah, that's <laughs> <all>. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, you know, I think there's there's a, a resurgence of uh, interest to you know document these carvings again before with gretchen i think gretchen i know gretchen call was definitely going over to to help preserve these uh, fabulous carvings and it's difficult to with granite the thing is with granite is it's not a, it's not an easy stone to cut but they did cut the stone with very good iron fired chisels i've got iron fired chisels now uh, 150 years old that will cut granite or incise granite oh. and this is what we want further analysis of and we've got to get as much information from these marks as possible mm -hmm. and see where that goes but uh, you know from my experience of, 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 of in similar project there's no smoke without fire eh? hmm. Jeff the last comment can we bring that up real quick um, the most the one about the, 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 the Templars, yeah. I, yeah. I that's something I find fascinating. I know in masonry, especially the third degree, there's a resurrection um, uh, ritual that's done, um, where you're risen into the light of you know of reason. Uh, the Templars were known for using caves and a lot um, for their living resurrection ceremonies. Can you talk to us about what a living resurrection ceremony is, Sean? Have you ever heard of that before? And if you have, what is it? No, I, I don't really have any knowledge in that dive uh, department. But what I can uh, I can talk to you about is <clears throat> the initiation scene on Roslyn Chapel, which shows <clears throat> two Knights Templar. Of course, this is done. This is the enigma. It was carved in 1480, well after the supposed dissolution, mm -hmm. and it shows one Templar leading another by a noose, which is, again, consistent with uh, Templar ritual, mm -hmm. holding a Bible <clears throat> before the altar of God, and he make his oath on the Bible, you know, and uh, 
you know, uh, and 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 that's as much as I know of of that particular situation. But hmm. uh, the other thing is that I can, on that cross, the crucifixion scene with the. Uh, excuse me, I'm getting a bit tired now. But the uh, the noose and there's a noose on it below the Templar crucifixion, and on that night that we found that was discovered in mm-hmm. St. Bees Priory. Mm. had a noose round his neck as well but it wasn't a noose that was possibly it was a ceremonial noose you know so i think there's that's the place to examine okay the cable toll or the the noose that's uh that's a connection to all this yeah mm. Mm. um jeff do you have something because i had something else no go ahead please I know Sean's getting a little tired, yeah, so I was going to kind of, you know, like this pretty, two o'clock. <laughs> if, if anyone has anything in chat, please feel free. Um, Sean, I'm going to kind of switch gears for a minute. You've been working with the youth and 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 actually um, teaching uh, some of your craft. Can can you talk to us about your workings with the youth and passing it on, <clears> paying it forward? Yeah, yeah. That's thanks. Thanks for bringing that up, John, because sure. uh, it's important to preserve the. The craft of of stone masonry. It's yes, it during this lockdown. It's suffered in the UK because we now have two colleges where their masonry departments have closed. Oh man! Oh wow! You know, I've been doing a little bit of uh, start to train people from different communities in Manchester at the Gorton Monastery, but it needs to be a bigger joined up uh, initiative because. You know, three years training to be uh, a craft stonemason hmm. not only would give a person an ability to make a living, it would also discipline them into becoming good human beings, you know, because of because of its very nature. People are drawn to stone and they love working with it and they love the therapeutic aspect of mm-hmm. of the process or the journey of right from becoming a trainee uh you know to becoming a master mason through become like a journeyman then master mason um it's this type of trade now is 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 on the endangered list you know and who are we going to have to repair our great edifices and cathedrals in the future we we have to have we can't just rely on high tech you know, sat in front of computers for the mm-hmm. rest of our life. Mm-hmm. We've got to get out there and get some graft done and, and 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 use our creativity. And it's it's the same for 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 all denominations of people. You know, it's we've got to be able to preserve our, our what heritage we've got in this strange world. You know. Hmm. And and so. It's you're saying as much as teaching the craft, you're also teaching character. Is that correct? And discipline. Yeah, there's that. There's that aspect to it, and it's modular learning. You know, you you never overstretched, but the actual you learn. I watched the community uh, trainees today. Think they start off by not thinking they can do anything, and then you know quite quickly they start to pick up ability with tool against stone stone mallet and chisel or mm. or hammer and you can see them 
almost live again. You know, the, we could have people that are, are ill and it, it starts to bring themselves out of them spells, That's particularly when people have been hidden away in houses for two years, you know, not being able to go out because of the lockdown and stuff. Mm. It's uh, it's an essential community skill and craft, which I, you know I see as the betterment for mankind. You know, absolutely. Um, and and you are you working on now? We had briefly briefly discussed with with Jeff at the very beginning the shroud of torrent. I'm going to bring up the shroud of torrent because that fascinates <laughs> me. And were you working on anything related to the shroud of torrent that you can talk about? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, we did a, a paper with Andrew Sinclair about the origins of the Shroud. Okay. But I, I'd done Shroud version one 20 years ago, and it was, it's such a difficult, high energy thing to be able to, to replicate from two dimensions from, you know, from a, from a photograph. Mm -hmm. that uh, it, it's quite wearing but i've started another version now which is that first one was was great but this is in white marble mm. and it's going to be the best work i've ever done but wow. it's, it's something that i've i can see not just in the visual perception of being able to translate from a, a your photograph into something three-dimensional mm. Well, there's something in the material of marble itself that's enabling this to happen, almost like it's a, like a wireless receiver or something. Mm. So I'm hoping to be able to produce, and there's some fabulous work replications of it done. I haven't seen one, and by better sculptors than me, but I haven't seen one that hit, that cuts the, cuts the mustard, so to speak. They're all they all look slightly different to the shroud image. But mm -hmm. this, it's it's about replicating that image for me, in truth and entirety. You know, right? Mm. Yeah, I can't wait. Oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> that is truly, is. truly fascinating. And you have to feel like, for you to have this opportunity to do that, has to take you to a whole new level. That I mean, you know, we kind of talked about that earlier. I mean, mm -hmm. you're like commissioned by a higher source to do this, and I'm I'm like that. To me, that's just—I don't know. I'm—I'm I'm, I'm speechless just thinking about the fact that you're doing it. I, I really am. That's 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 all I could say. And it's—it's it's difficult to get, uh, sort of let ego get in the way of that because it's not going to work. Eh? And it's you know right. we've all got ego, so it's very difficult to try and regulate that when you when you're doing something of this nature, but. You know, I always think of myself as a artist, if a, you know, somebody that transfers this knowledge from somewhere else, you know. And, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, it, it's a lot more interesting as well to see, and it always ends up in the end to be better than you could have done had you thought you were Michelangelo. You just have to, <laughs> could, you know. <clears throat> um. Sean, question for you. Based on your research, what's your what's your kind of instinct about the shroud? Is it an authentic piece? Is it a medieval replica? I mean, based on your research, I know we discussed this briefly. 
Well, I've I've always had the feeling that it's it is it is Christ. You know, there's no doubt about that for me. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm a Christian. I'm of the faith, and it's uh, it's always it's always resonated as the truth. Now, Andrew Sinclair, who did huge amounts of research on the material the, the image is on. He did, uh, you know, they analysed it, I think it was 10 years ago or something, and found out, and they all said, the shroud is a medieval forgery. You know, God doesn't exist, <laughs> or something like this. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, there was all sorts of collusion and stuff going on. But what they'd done was they'd analysed and carbon dated a section of, a little bit of the material from the outside of the shroud itself and then said ah there we are it's medieval you know but in actual fact it was a medieval repair that they'd carbon dated <laughs> around the edge so that's how yep. they got that information now right. andrew and i think it was a uh how he was involved in it. I don't know how far into this he was or whatever, but they managed to get a sample, a very, very minute sample from the middle of the shroud, and it was mm-hmm. contemporary with the time of Christ. Yeah. Not only that, they got they got a pollen particle that they could pinpoint to a certain type of plant 20, you know, within 20 miles of where Christ was crucified. Interesting. Yeah, see, that that just proves it right there. It really does. And then, Sean, if you can link it to the Templars, because you and I were discussing in 2009, the Vatican released a document from their archives um, about the trial of the Templars and how the the shroud was used in an initiation ceremony. Um, Can you talk a bit about the history of the shroud in relation to the Templars themselves? Well, yeah, I think you're talking about, is it the Chinon document? Whereby, actually, they, 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 they found, a, uh, they found a, a paper, you know, several hundred years after that, uh, that released the Templars, that pardoned them in actual fact, mm-hmm. called the Chinon parchment. But the Templars had, there's a specific night in France that looked after the shroud image. And... When the Mandelion, which is what it was called, mm. was brought out, people said, oh, it's like, looks like a lion, but it could be a bit like a man lion. It was based off, you know, visual evidence of them taking the top part of the shroud image into battle, which inevitably they won when, they, when this came out. Yeah. Uh, and I'll send you the paper of the research that I've got from Andrew with these details in. And it's it's pretty interesting, really. But the the shroud image had been kept in by a French knight family down in the south of France, uh, you know, for quite some time. But all the information's in that with the details in the name of the knight, you know, blah, blah, blah. Interesting, and 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 do you think the, the the you said the image of the of the face of Christ was taken in the battle, correct? Yeah, 
Yeah, that that's that, that's in the that's in the paper. That, Which uh, is not to be confused with John the Baptist, correct? <clears throat> well, I don't think it should be confused with the okay. John the Baptist scenario because, uh, I you know he we know that the Templars were called Johnites and yes. after John the Baptist, Saint John the Baptist. And the interesting thing about that is that. John the Baptist's father was the prophet Zechariah, and mm. he placed the last stone on the second temple, which is the temple of Zorobabel. The mm. warrior masons built that, one hat, one trowel in one hand, sword in the other. Zechariah placed the last stone on the restoration of that uh, edifice, mm -hmm. and... You know, he was John the Baptist's father. So there's another development. I mentioned that because it's another area of research mm -hmm. that I'm getting into, you know, mm. uh, because I think, every, you know, everybody thinks of the, the first temple, the Temple of Solomon, but there's there's a lot gone missing, really, that we need to look at about in the second temple. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, it is. And I, you know, and I envy you, you know, this, you being able to do this research and, and spending time in Rossling mm. Chapel and all of that. It, it, it's, uh, I, man, if only, you know, if only I know that Gretchen's been mm -hmm. over there and she's done a lot of that too. And it's just mm -hmm. fascinating that you guys get to do this. Uh, maybe one day I'll be able to be there myself. Um, knowing that you're working with Wayne, now we're going to try to wrap this up because I know you're really getting tired, Sean, and I don't want to yeah, hold yeah. too much longer. I know it's really late in the UK right now, and I thank you so much for putting up with all this. But um, I, Wayne, uh, you know, working with Wayne Murphy over there uh, in Wisconsin, and, and we can't wait for you to be able to come over here and participate and see it with your own eyes mm -hmm. and your hands uh, and everything. Uh, Wayne did share a couple of pictures he just sent, and I wanted to bring them up and show you real quick. And just get your take. I don't know if you've seen these. I know that John has. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Let's bring one up here. And now this one is one that uh, uh, John actually, um, you know, drew some uh, circle or, or uh, lines on to help identify this a little bit. Um, there's several things going on on this particular stone. And again, these have been weathered terribly over there in the winters of Wisconsin. Um, but couple of things that stand out is this image right here is one for sure. And then you've got another one over here that stands out. And let's see. I know there's a couple more in here. We see some lines like right Possibly here. something there, right a triangle here. there. Yep. Yeah, some straight lines because, you know, nature doesn't do straight lines very well. Um, but this one's really interesting. And I, I don't know. He didn't really say, <laughs> you know, I, I, these are obviously ones. I, have you seen these before, Sean? Yeah, I've seen I've seen most of the the uh, the carvings, you know, the, the symbols carved on these rocks. And, right. uh, you know, it's it, it, you can get into overload with them as well. So you just <laughs> yeah. got to be. <clears throat> but Wayne, Wayne is a fantastic researcher. It's just. You know, with him having a police background and stuff, uh, you know, if I put a, a foot out, foot, foot in the wrong direction, I don't want to end up being, you know, pistol whipped. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, this one, and Alessandra pointed this one out. She just jumped out and said, yep, there's a triangle on the left, and there sure is right here. That's, a, that's a definitely a triangle. What do you, uh, John, what are you seeing right here? Well, that, that's possibly, and I, I have to, ha I just have to see it in person, which I, know. I, will, I will be doing hopefully soon. Yep, um, we will. <laughs> yeah, we will. Um, that could be a, a Christian fish. Um, yep. Possibly. It's so weathered. And then at the bottom, possibly, possibly a triangle at the bottom, which, you know, yep. you see at the bottom. Yep, right there. Yep. Um, it goes up right here. Yep, it goes up and then you down. Right there. And, yep. and there's there's another one here. But if you link all three triangles, they're like three triangles within a bigger triangle. Okay. And if you kind of start using your imagination a bit and going down, up, across, and then down, up, and across, mm -hmm. you you could, and I, again, I have to see it. I have to see it. if it's the weathering, if it's the moss I'm seeing, whatever it is, could that be a, a Star of David? I don't know. If it is, then that, that's a game changer for me. But I, oh, I absolutely. I, absolutely. It's a, it's a maybe for me, Sean. I, I just, I, you don't know until you actually lay eyes on it. And, and you know if, if you're seeing things or not, but the the triangle for sure, and that looks to be is that an equal hour triangle, Jeff, or an isosceles, uh, the one up to the left? I think so, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's yeah, pretty yeah, definite. perfect, yeah, yeah, very and very definite. Yep. The the question is, you know, and I think Sean raises the perfect question. Later additions, was it something that was added on to the site? Yes afterwards and this is really a very old megalithic site that was known so i'm seeing all kinds of things there do we have any more images from the uh yeah there's one more here let me uh let me bring this one down and let me grab this other one let's see here okay there we go and i put it i'm trying to find it nope here it is here we go. Okay, now I got to make it larger. And unfortunately, I, I just had to pull them over so they're not, it, they get a little fuzzy when I make yeah. them bigger. But here we go with this one. Now, I think this one was, I think he's pointing out the, this, this, I think, uh, he didn't actually say, but I think he's pointing out this very straight edge on this one. Not sure if that's all that was, let's see. I don't know if he, let's see. Bear with me a moment uh yeah so yeah so i don't know have you seen this one before sean this yeah i've one? seen a number of them similar with those look like dressed edges to them yes exactly um, which i think the front side of the tube structure with the boulder on top that being rolled across mm -hmm. i think i think that was originally walled up with stones like these mm -hmm. and yeah. <clears throat> you know built and you know, built 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 up there in a a natural mortalist way, and you know you can see symbol. You can see uh, how the stone's been manipulated to do the least amount of work. Right. Uh, you know, obviously, an expedition would have limited resources and stuff, and uh, you know they weren't they'd maybe left something for somebody else to collect. I don't know. I, th I've, I feel it's just an intuition that I feel that there was something being transported of great importance. And this is one of the staging sites for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I and, did too. Go ahead, John. And, it, 
is it your is it your gut instinct, Sean, that something of great importance that this might have been a stopover for that something as it traveled west further into the Americas? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Are we are we I talking know. like Grand Canyon? <clears throat> uh well yeah, I mean there's incredible stones being found in Arizona as well. Mm-hmm. Uh that I worked with uh, a guy down there. I, I'm getting a bit tired now, so I forgot his name. But no, 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 great. no, no. <laughs> with Templar symbols on, looked like they've come off the uh, the symbols have come directly off uh, the secret scroll, which is the scroll which depicts the Ark of the Covenant, correct, and its movement in the Middle East. But I don't think it is the Middle East. I think it's you could superimpose that over other areas, maybe hmm. North America, to find out where this, where it had gone, you know. And um, one of the symbols off the secret scroll has been carved, or several of them actually. You, you know, you could just say, "Well, look at that; it's exactly the same," you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's actually found in petroglyphs, if I remember correct, Wayne. I mean, Sean, is that right? Yeah, uh, Alexandra. Alexandria knows this guy, and he's yeah. he's found several stones which look to me like a, you know, it looks like a Scottish sandstone, and I, I you know, I suspect it's stones that they brought over, pre-carved, you know. Hmm. Yep. Rather than carved, right, in situ, so to speak. I think, you know, when you know when a ship went from one country to the next it, it carried stone ballast on the main eh? yes ex- exactly it sure did yep. Yep. Hey, hey jeff i'm sending you that picture that i'm referring to right now so you can bring that up i okay. think that might be what sean's referring to okay and we'll have to uh, let sean go because it's getting really yeah, late. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel guilty yeah, I'll feel <laughs> I'd love to keep going. We, gotta, we gotta call <laughs> it because yeah he's getting really tired and i and i know that uh he's, he's, uh, he's totally see you, yeah, I got it. Uh, I'll show it really quick here. Yeah. So is that what you're referring to? That's one of the ones I've seen, which yeah. people liken to the to the Ark of the Covenant. And there's others, obviously. Wow, fabulous. Oh, very true. That's yeah, awesome. that is. Because there you go with your two. Um... Sean, if I'm not mistaken, those would be the two cherubims. Cherubim. Cherubim yeah. sitting on the top of the Ark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, f- absolutely fascinating. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah, that is and cool. Uh, just it's just like a, a sort of a an abstract version of them, isn't it? But it is. If, yeah. Oh wow. So they're out there, and the petroglyph. There's really cool. more than one petroglyph that have <clears throat> been like that. But when I saw this, I'm like, well, what is that? <laughs> yeah, it looks like it to me. I, I yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, what what other thing do you have that has two? It's a box, and then it has two of the uh, images on top that are identical uh, on each side, uh, like that. Yeah, that's that's mm, pretty compelling. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll just say that. <laughs> uh, I, I remember it's Louis Louis Serena uh, that's discovered these stones down in Arizona and okay. not just one of them, but you know, that, he'd be a great guy to, uh, to have on the show. He really would. And All Alexandra right. is the main contact for him. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to write that name down. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Fascinating. Well, I tell you what, we've had a great time. I know there was so much that, you know, we we talked about earlier that we didn't get to during the show here. Um, and that, that always happens, unfortunately, but that's the way it goes, because I know I'm fascinated by the, the getting, you know, talking about the resonance of stone. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I had mentioned about the obelisk uh, that they, they were talking about on this one. And I don't even remember exactly what TV show it was. It was an obelisk that was laying down on its side mm -hmm. and they actually went up and hit it with a rubber mallet and it just resonated. And that made me think and it vibrating and that vibrations would would they not aid in the able to move things because if it's vibrating, it moves easier along surfaces or whatever. And and using that sound would able to be able to make them, you know. I'm going to say the word levitate, but I, I'm sorry if I went that way. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's so, it, it's, it's a technology that we've lost that I think is so important to try to gain a, back and understand again. And the fact that you, Sean, are working on this and you're going to the temples and you're looking at this and you're working in this field is fascinating. And I want to be able to to pick your brain more in the future on this because you're 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 getting to go into an area that uh, again I think myself and quite a few people are, are just find this so fascinating. And as we mentioned, like I said, and I already I'm repeating myself now by saying that you know it's it's something we need to get back. We need to re you know <clears throat> these things back this this knowledge. And you're absolutely yeah no <clears throat> great to be amongst like-minded people and we need to work together you know towards this absolutely you know, for the future absolutely <clears throat> well i've had a fantastic time here john you had some great questions and good comments and research of your own you brought up i think it's fascinating and that picture right there oh my gosh he had to show it right <laughs> at the end now we got to talk about this <laughs> i didn't see that before but again folks thank you so much for being here tonight uh sean williamson has been fantastic uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show, sir. Uh, and you are a sir. You've been knighted, and I know that all that is fascinating. And uh, we we want to have you back at some point. And don't forget, he's got his book uh, that's coming out here, um, uh, Questus. And we will we'll put that on our website uh, on the Facebook page. We'll get you uh, information of how you can get a hold of that. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there, John. Any parting words you'd like to? No, uh, I want to thank Sean for staying up and being with us. And it was a great show. Yep. Thank, thank, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, John. And thank you, everybody else, for listening in. It's been great. Great to be a part of all this. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, that wraps up our episode here with Sean Williamson. Thank you, folks, for tuning in and or downloading this recording. Sean was a great guest, and uh, we are going to be visiting with him again in the future when he has more uh, information to share from his research and when he gets out to the Wisconsin site uh, for Team Templar North America, where he's going to be going out and actually investigating some of the stone carvings that are on the Mohican Reservation there. So we're really looking forward to that. Thanks again, folks, for joining us on this special uh, show with Sean Williamson, and thank you to John Edwards for co-hosting on this particular event. Hope you folks have a great week, and we will see you again on the next show.